Good afternoon, everyone, and greetings to all our brethren around the world. We're enjoying a beautiful winter day here in Charlotte. The temperature is around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, and for those in Europe and elsewhere, it's 16 degrees Celsius. We're enjoying a peaceful Sabbath, but many cities and nations around the world are not enjoying the peace that true Christians can enjoy. Historians Will and Ariel Durant researched the world's history of war and peace. And in their book, The Lessons of History, they concluded, quote, In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. So we're experiencing regional wars, civil wars, terrorist attacks that are tearing apart nations and civilizations. And more and more nations are developing nuclear weapons or nuclear capabilities with a clear purpose to manufacture nuclear weapons of mass destruction. In February 2002, after the 9-11 attack on the United States, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, managers of the Doomsday Clock, moved the hands forward by two minutes to seven minutes to midnight. And midnight on the clock represents global disaster. And then just a week and a half ago, on January 17th, the scientists set the clock to five minutes before midnight. They moved it ahead two minutes. The news release stated, quote, The major new step reflects growing concerns about a second nuclear age, marked by grave threats, including nuclear ambitions in Iran and North Korea, unsecured nuclear materials in Russia and elsewhere, the continuing launch-ready status of 2,000 of the 25,000 nuclear weapons held by the United States and Russia, escalating terrorism and new pressure from climate change for expanded civilian nuclear power that could increase proliferation risks. Agence France Press reacted with this headline, quote, Doomsday Clock to Move Closer to Nuclear Armageddon. So the world is not uh, blinded to the dangers of nuclear proliferation and the risks that are increasing towards what they feel is Armageddon. But why hasn't humanity learned the way to peace? And why will the world march steadily toward Armageddon? The answer is because the nations, the statesmen, the leaders, and even religious leaders are ignorant of the way to peace. They lack a vital quality that is possessed by all genuine Christians. What is that quality? There are many qualities, of course, that the Bible presents as a part of true Christianity. If you'll turn to Romans, the third chapter, Romans 3. The Apostle Paul is quoting from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Romans 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Apostle Paul was writing to both the Greeks or the Gentiles and Jews in Rome, and he's trying to make sure that they both realize, both groups, that they are all under sin, that all have sinned, as it says down in verse 23, and come short of the glory of God. Verse 11 of Romans 3, There is none that understands, there is none that seeks after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. So you Gentiles can't brag. You Jews can't brag. There's none that does good. They are all gone out of the way. 
Verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Certainly describes many parts of our world today. And the way of peace they have not known. So the world ignores the cause of peace. And the way of peace, of course, is God's commandments, His way of life. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they that love His law, and nothing shall offend them, or nothing shall cause them to stumble, as it says in the New King James. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I quote that scripture to myself when I'm a little troubled. I remember that Jesus said, My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You might hold your place there in Romans 3 and turn back to Isaiah the ninth chapter, Isaiah 9 which, of course, describes what we believe in as tomorrow's world, the world to come. For unto us a child is born, verse 6 of Isaiah 9. Christ was born. This is a messianic prophecy. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. He was a father to Israel, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the eternal of hosts will perform this. Christ is the Prince of Peace. And we're going to be a part of that government because we know the way to peace and we must be practicing the way to peace. So one of the reasons why the world is not experiencing peace is because it does not know the way to peace. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14.6. Let's take a look at another reason why the world is at war. Take a look at verse 18, back to Romans, the third chapter. Continuing with the thought, verse 17 said, The way of peace they have not known. But notice verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The world scoffs at God. There are atheists and agnostics that ridicule the very idea of God. And they think that they, in a sense, are God, although they may not want to uh, craft it in that way or state it in that way. But this is a critical quality for all Christians and for the world. The reason we do not have world peace is because they don't know the way to peace, but also there is no fear of God before their eyes. I wonder, brethren, if you understand and realize that godly fear is a quality of deeply converted Christians. And we'll see that throughout uh, this sermon. And just how important is that quality? The expression, the fear of the Lord, occurs 57 times in your Bible. The exhortation to fear the Lord occurs 68 times. And the imperative fear God occurs an additional 33 times. 
So let's understand. The fear of the Lord is a quality of deeply converted Christians. The fear of the Lord is a quality, or was a quality, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we'll see. The fear of the Lord is in harmony with the love of God and our trust in God. And the fear of the Lord leads us to untold benefits and blessings, as we'll see. The title of the sermon is Fear God and Rejoice. Without a genuine godly fear, humans become deceivers and destroyers rather than converted Christians and peacemakers. No one is going to be in the kingdom of God without a deep reverence and awe of the Creator God. And it's sad to to me personally and others here at headquarters to see over the past 40 years former members, ministers, leaders who abandoned the faith. Many of those that I've observed did not have the fear of God. Otherwise, they would still be with us today, perhaps. There are other qualities and uh, criteria as well. But many of those who did abandon the faith had arrogance, they had vanity, even bitterness, and many lacked the quality of godly reverence and fear. But what is fear? The Holman Bible Dictionary and other dictionaries define fear as follows, quote, a broad range of emotions that embrace both the secular and religious worlds. Secular fear is the natural feeling of alarm caused by the expectation of imminent danger, pain, or disaster. Religious fear appears as the result of awe and reverence toward a supreme power. Uh, the Hebrew words are yirah, then uh, Anglo- that is phoneticized, Y-I-R-A-H, or Y-A-R-E, and the Greek is a word you probably recognize, phobos, uh, for phobia, and uh, phobio. Uh, the uh, Merriam-Webster defines phobia as an exaggerated, usually inexplicable, and illogical fear of a particular object, class of objects, or situations. Now, there are many types of phobias. I'll just mention a few of them. I went online, and uh, I was just going to print out one page, but it actually had, oh, this is page one of 46. <laughs> anyway, and this, this, is just, uh, this is just A. This is a listing of phobias starting with A. You can see how far down the line it goes. Uh, the first one is ablutrophobia. Uh, that is the fear of washing or bathing. <clears throat> I hope we don't have anyone here with ablutrophobia. Uh, there is uh, seronophobia, which is the fear of thunder, uh, astrophobia, the fear of lightning, ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes, nyctophobia, the fear of darkness, acrophobia, the fear of heights, pyrophobia, the fear of fire, aquaphobia, the fear of water, fear of cats, ilurophobia. Uh, we don't have that. We have five cats that visit us regularly. Uh, fear of dogs, cynophobia. Fear of open spaces, agoraphobia, and uh, I think some of you know what triskaidekaphobia is. How many of you know what triskaidekaphobia is? Okay, the fear of the number 13. And then uh, fear of closed spaces is claustrophobia. And one that I did not find on the list, but I know was researched some years ago when I was studying this, is arichabutophobia, and that is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. 
So while we can laugh at some of these extremes, uh, for many people they are serious problems. Uh, from the Mental Health Institute, there are mental disorders in the United States uh, that are common and internationally. An estimated 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older, about one in four adults, suffer from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. Uh, when applied to the 2004 U.S. Census residential population estimate for ages 18 and older, this figure translates to 57.7 million people. Even though mental disorders are widespread in the population, uh, the main burden of illness is concentrated in a much smaller proportion, about 6% or 1 in 17, who suffer from a serious mental illness. And then it discusses social phobia, about 15 million American adults age 18 and over, agoraphobia, about 1.8 million Americans, adults 18 and over. Specific phobia involves marked and persistent fear and avoidance of a specific object or situation. And there are approximately 19.2 million Americans over 18 and over, or about 8.7% of people in this age group that have this type of phobia. Well, we need a different kind of fear, not phobia, but we need a reverence and an awe of God. What a godly fear is not. Let's turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. And this is, Scripture can be somewhat of a challenge, puzzlement. But when you understand how great God is, as we heard even in the beautiful special music that God forgives, a very heartfelt psalm here in Psalm 130, Out of the depths have I cried unto you, O Eternal, Lord, hear my voice. Let my ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, eternal, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? I think of all my sins, and if God would mark those iniquities and say, as instant you sinned, uh, you've had it, no chance for repentance, no chance for reconciliation, who would stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now, how can that be, that... If there is forgiveness for God, then how can he be feared? Well, let's understand the awesome love that God has, the depth of concern that God has of sacrificing his son. When you realize what it required for you to be forgiven, then, of course, we realize how we can reverence God and have such an awe of his plan, of his love, of sacrificing his son and of course, we need to think more deeply about that as we approach the Passover this year. Uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary states this, quote, So men who by the Spirit are taught what God is are instinctively led to come and reverently worship Him with the fear not of trembling slaves, but of living sons. A harsh God, such as the devil pictures to the unregenerate, would either be shunned altogether or be worshipped only in order that he might not hurt us, as the heathen worship their gods. But the sense of God's forgiveness leads his children lovingly to reverence him and to shrink with fear from all that would offend him. Now, that sounds like Second Corinthians, the seventh chapter, on what is a godly repentance, what is godly fear. We'll touch on that later. But Satan would have us picture God as a harsh, unforgiving God 
who should be shunned or worshipped as a heathen worship their gods. Now let's talk about briefly fearfulness. We understand that a godly fear is not as the heathen worship their gods in order to avoid punishment. Godly fear is not fearfulness either. Let's turn back to Revelation 21 and verse 8. Revelation 21 and verse 8. Here we see all the qualities or bad characteristics that lead to the lake of fire. But the fearful, and the first one that is mentioned, verse 8 of Revelation 21, but the fearful and unbelieving. So again, what kind of fear is this? It's not godly fear. This is a fearfulness that is characterized by a lack of faith. The Greek word here is delos, D-E-I-L-O-S, which has to do with timidity. Turn to uh, Hebrews, the 13th chapter, Hebrews 13. So a godly fear is not fearfulness, as mentioned here in Revelation 21. Neither is it the fear of man. So we find in Hebrews 3, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For you said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How often I claim that promise. I hope you do too. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. It's back in Psalm 56 and verse 11 as well. So a godly fear is not the fear of man. Then what are the positive aspects of a godly fear? It's a reverence. It's an awe. It's an admiration of God. It's an awareness and a realization of who and what God is. And when we think about that deeply, we do have that reverence and we do have that awe. 1 John 3 and verse 1 again describes our relationship with God, how deep God's love is for us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. How has He manifested that love? that we should be called the sons of God. 1 John 3, verse 1. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew Him not. We see across the page here, at least in my Bible, 1 John 4, 8, and 1 John 4, 16, God is love. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. Again, this is not talking about godly reverence and awe, this is a kind of wrong, or the wrong kind of fear. He that fears is not made perfect in love. So we'll see godly fear and godly love are not mutually exclusive. They are complementary. We'll see that. Well, let's turn back there now. I was going to do it later, but turn back to Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter. A very important verse, which I hope that you have marked in your Bible. Again, so many in the uh, religious world have this problem with the either-or. You either fear God or you love God. You can't do both. Well, that's not what my Bible says. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the eternal your God require of you? What does God require of us? But to fear the eternal your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him. In the same breath, 
God tells us to fear Him and love Him, and to serve the eternal your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So again, they are not mutually exclusive. They are complementary. And then verse 20, You shall fear the eternal your God, Him shall you serve, and to Him shall you cleave and swear by His name. So again, love and the godly fear are complementary and are part of what God requires of all of us. Let's turn to uh, Proverbs, the second chapter, Proverbs 2. Here you know we are to seek knowledge, understanding, and truth as for hid treasure. I've drawn the analogy before in previous sermons about God's promises. Uh, God uh, gives us wonderful promises that are treasures in the Bible, and we need to go treasure hunting in the Bible for those promises. And you can draw the same analogy for the benefits of a godly fear. And we'll have, a, you, I'm going to, I think you're going to be amazed later at all of the surprising benefits of a godly fear. Uh, one is mentioned right here. My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you, so that you incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, and if you cry after knowledge and if you lift up your voice for understanding. So we have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge all mentioned here. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hid treasures, then shall you understand the fear of the eternal and find the knowledge of God. So again, we have to search for these benefits and search for these blessings. Let's turn to uh, Psalm 39. Psalm 39. Well, we have to understand who and what God is. He is the Creator. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote an article back in January 1985 in the Good News magazine, Why God is Not Real to Most People. And, of course, it's the uh, intrusions of the world, the distractions, the lusts, the greed, the selfishness that we have about us. That's why God is not real to many people. Of course, I hope you've read our booklet, The Real God, Proofs and Promises. Psalm 39 and <clears throat> verse 5. Behold, you've made my days as a handbreadth. We've heard uh, about redeeming the time in the sermonette. At mine age is nothing before you. Verily, every man in his best state is but vapor, or as in the uh, King James, altogether vanity. Human beings in their best state, and they think, what is the best state of human beings? Just like a vapor or vanity. That is for those who are not converted. But those who understand who and what God is, that he's the creator of the universe, and he's creating a family, and we're a part of that family, we can have that reverence and that awe. We mentioned about the various dimensions of the universe before that I just read to you from the National Geographic in May 1974 called The Incredible Universe. Quote, In those far reaches of the universe, in those bewildering worlds, are places where a teaspoon of matter 
weighs as much as 200 million elephants. That's hard to understand. Where a tiny whirling star winks on and off at 30 times a second. Where a small mysterious object shines with a brilliance of 10 trillion suns. Where matter and light are continually sucked up by devouring black holes never to be seen again. And so that led David to ask, just back a few pages in Psalm 8, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, Psalm 8, verse 3, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So when we look up into the heavens, and we realize how tiny and small we are, I turn to Psalm 15. Sorry about the problem with my throat here. But here in Psalm 15, when we understand that God has a great plan for us, uh, David said, what is man that you're mindful of him? Well, God is mindful of us because he wants us to be a part of his family. There are many, many benefits to a godly fear, and we're going to uh, be looking at a chain here as we look through uh, the scriptures and Psalms and in Proverbs. I have a chain in my Bible, I call it a Bible chain, I think some of you may have done that yourselves, where you look up one scripture and then you put a marginal reference to the next one. Some of you have done that with the 12 occurrences of the church of God, where you start off with 1 Corinthians, the church of God at Corinth, and then you put the next reference to uh, the next uh, reference to the church of God as listed and find all 12 places. So I've done a chain here. This is a sample of some of the benefits of a godly fear as well as exhortations or imperatives to fear God. And I think you're going to be surprised when you sum up all the benefits of a godly fear, uh, just how wonderful those benefits are. Let's start off with Psalm uh, 15 here. And... uh, this is the, these are the qualities of one who will be in God's kingdom, who will abide in your tabernacle and in your holy hill. He that walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He that backbites not with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honors them that fear the eternal. He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. In other words, you're truthful, you have integrity, you keep your word, but also God says he honors those that fear him. Let's turn back uh, to Psalm 2 and verse 11, where we're told, Serve the eternal with fear and rejoice with trembling. So, again, the title of the sermon is Fear God and Rejoice. So let's understand that, yes, you can fear God, and you can rejoice. We'll see a little more about that later. All right, we've seen Psalm 2, Psalm 15. Uh, Let's go on here to Psalm 19. So many beautiful passages in here. You almost stop and want to read all of them. Uh, But verse 9 of Psalm 19. The fear of the eternal is clean. Now, that's unusual. The fear of the eternal is clean, enduring forever. 
The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Well, remember, David said, Create me a clean heart, O God, in Psalm 51.10. And Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, Matthew 5 and verse 8. The fear of the eternal is clean. Let's go on to number Psalm 23. You know, the shepherd psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. You probably have... How many of you have memorized Psalm 23? I see your hands. Good. Looks like about... 62%. The other 38% need to learn this psalm, memorize it. Notice verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So God comforts us. And uh, verse 23 of the previous chapter, my eye just fell upon it. Psalm 22, verse 23. You that fear the eternal, praise him. All you the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you the seed of Israel. So there are these imperatives, these instructions. Thank you very much. Ah, good. That's good. All right, let's uh, continue then from uh, Psalm 23, verse 4, to Psalm 34. Verse 7, here is an incredible promise and benefit of a godly fear. I think all of you would like this. Number 7, verse 7 of Psalm 34, And the angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fears him, that fear him, and delivers them. God is going to set an angel about you if you have that reverence towards him. O taste and see that the eternal is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. So you find this quality of trust and a godly fear connected. O fear the Lord, you His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. Again, God's going to provide your every need. Philippians 4.19 There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the eternal shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of of the Lord. I hope you do pray for angelic protection. Uh, I do uh, frequently. Psalm 36, I'll just mention in passing, of course, it's uh, quoted, we just quoted it earlier. The Apostle Paul quoted it in Romans 3.18. The transgression of the wicked says within my heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. I'll just mention that in passing. That's where the Apostle Paul quoted Let's go to uh, Psalm 56. We're just uh, doing a survey here. There are many, many others. Psalm 56, verse 3. What time I am afraid of... Are you ever afraid? Some of you are uh, not afraid. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Verse 4. In God I will praise His Word. In God I have put my trust... I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Again, we quoted that in Hebrews 13, verse 6. So when you understand, what can human beings do but kill you? And that's all they can do. And God will resurrect you and give you eternal life. We, uh, Verse 11 of Psalm 56, In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. 
Psalm 60 and verse 4. You have given a banner to them that fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Oh, I think of some of the airplanes that fly around here and have this, this big banner flying back at the end of the, trailing off the uh, back of the airplane, advertising uh, some occasion. Uh, but God gives us a flag, a banner, to be displayed because of the truth. Psalm 85 and verse 9. Psalm 85 and verse 9. <clears throat> Surely His salvation is near to them that fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. So God gives us a nearness to salvation. When you think of all of the uh, rescues on the high seas, you may watch the Weather Channel and see all these incredible rescues on the high seas. And You know, they want salvation. They want to be saved from whatever disaster is lurking. And here God says His salvation is near to them that fear Him. Uh, verse 11 of Psalm 86, Teach me your way, David prays, O Eternal. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. In other words, a singleness of purpose, a singleness of heart. And David is praying that God will unite his heart to fear his name and to teach him the way to walk in truth. Psalm 89 and verse 7. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. Psalm 103 and verse 8. We're getting through the book of Psalms. The Eternal is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Do you need God's mercy? Have you claimed God's mercy? Ask for God's mercy? I've asked for God's mercy many times. And uh, He's given me mercy. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Eternal pities them that fear Him. Verse 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. Of course, this is uh, Psalm 103. is uh, one of my favorite psalms. and uh, begins with God's benefits. And we're talking about not only God's benefits in general, but the benefits of a godly fear. Psalm 111.10. I think most of you know that one by heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Then Psalm 112 begins, Praise you the Eternal. Blessed is the man that fears the Eternal, that delights greatly in His commandments. Verse 7, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Verse 8, His heart is established. He shall not be afraid. As we've seen in prophecy, Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, men's hearts are going to be failing them for fear of what's happening in the world. But you don't have to have that kind of fear. If you have a godly fear, you won't have a fear 
of what is happening through the world and through man. Psalm 118. We're getting, we're getting there. Let them that fear the eternal say, His mercy endures forever. Psalm 118, verse 6. The eternal is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Again, Psalm, uh, Hebrews 13, 6. Psalm 128 and verse 1. Psalm 128 and verse 1. Blessed is everyone that fears the eternal, that walks in his ways. For you shall eat the labor of your hands. Happy shall you be, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. Your children like olive plants round about your table. Behold, that thus shall be the man be blessed that fears the eternal. So happy families are the result of fearing God. 145, verse 18. Psalm 145 and verse 18. The eternal is near unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. Yes, we need to treasure the truth, live the truth, and rejoice in the truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. So God will answer our prayers. So that's another one of those benefits of a godly fear is answered prayer. I just came across this uh, humorous uh, story about children's misunderstandings uh, regarding prayer. A wife invited some people to dinner At the table, she turned to their six-year-old daughter and said, Would you like to say the blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, the girl replied. Well, just say what you hear Mommy say, the wife answered. The daughter bowed her head and said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? (laughs) You have to be careful what you say around your children. But God does promise to answer our prayers. And then verse 146 and verse 11. Are you getting tired of all these blessings? I hope you're not. These are incredible blessings. And the world would just love to have one or two. But there are dozens of these blessings. Psalm 146, verse 47, verse 11. Psalm 147, verse 11. The eternal takes pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. So God takes pleasure in you if you have that awe and that reverence towards Him. Now we're going to continue with the the blessings in Proverbs, but we'll have an insert here at this point in time. And I'll ask the question, who in the Bible feared God? Can you think of people in the Bible, uh, biblical... uh, Heroes or heroines who feared God? Let's turn to Isaiah, the 11th chapter, and see if you answered correctly on this one. The most obvious and the most important one. This is a messianic prophecy again. Christ's peaceable kingdom foretold is the heading here. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Isaiah 11, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. That's talking about Christ. Jesus himself had that attitude, that reverence towards his Father. The uh, New King James has it, uh, his delight, verse 3, his delight is in the fear of the eternal. Uh, most of us like uh, enjoy the times when we can delight in something, and yet it says Christ delights in the fear of the eternal, and he will not judge by the sight of his eyes. That's the New King James. The NIV says, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Let's turn to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, Hebrews 5. So Jesus himself had that quality, and we need that quality as well. Hebrews 5, verse 6. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears. Now, have any of you done that? Cried out to God in tears, with vehement cries. You know, we, uh, as it says in is it Hosea 7.14, that God indicted Israel. He said they never put their heart into their prayers. With vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Or in the King James has it, was heard in that he feared. The NIV has, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So who in the Bible feared God? Jesus Christ feared God. He feared his Father. He had a reverence for his Father. Obviously, a close, intimate relationship in loving his Father. Because he said, the Father and I are one. And yet he had that grasp, that, that awe, and that reverence of knowing who and what his Father was. Well, let's go back to uh, the Bible chain and take a look at some of the benefits in Proverbs. We've seen the benefits in the book of Psalms. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Again, we have all these educational institutions that are knowledge factories that are producing knowledge, even as Daniel predicted that knowledge would increase in these end times. But is it godly knowledge? Is it spiritual understanding and discernment? The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1.7, is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now verse 29, and you read this whole chapter, which I hope you will, but verse 29 is a very important verse because it shows that the fear of the eternal, that is, the desire to revere God and to know who and what He is, is a choice. And those who are fools do not choose the fear of God. Let's read that, verse 29. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Well, it's breaking into the middle of a thought, but it's talking about the fools who uh, mocked at God. They would not take correction, verse 23. So 
He says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. So, brethren, it is something we have to choose and desire. David prayed for it, remember, as we saw. Proverbs, the second chapter. Uh, We already read this section on uh, treasuring the truth and seeking knowledge, wisdom, and understanding as for hid treasure. Verse 5, Then shall you understand the fear of the eternal and find the knowledge of God. What an awesome blessing that is. Let's uh, go on to chapter 8 and verse 13. 8.13 Society becomes hardened and inured at all the evils around it. And, of course, movies and video games, violent video games, can desensitize our youth and others, and we become hardened. And we don't hate evil like we should. We don't abhor evil. In fact, of course, Paul wrote, abhor evil or eschew evil, the King James Version, and love good. What does he say here? Verse 13 of Proverbs 8. The fear of the eternal is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. We cannot be indifferent. In our spokesman club, we had the attack speech, and it was always the most difficult and challenging speech in that program. And um, it was difficult because some men didn't know what to attack. They couldn't get angry at at anything, you know, sometimes. Well, you have to be angry at something. Angry at evil, that's God's mind. The fear of the eternal is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way in the froward mouth do I hate. Over the page... uh, You know this one again, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 7 was the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the eternal here, Proverbs 9, 10, is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Then chapter 10, verse 24. The fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. Again, those who have phobias, those who do not fear God, are going to end up in fearfulness. That is, fearing those uh, things about them that are going to bring upon them anxiety and uh, perhaps even uh, other problems. Verse 27, the fear of the eternal prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. So, again, long life is a benefit. Chapter 13, verse 13. Whoso despises the word shall be destroyed, but he that fears the commandment shall be rewarded. So again, there are rewards. 14, 2. He that walks in his uprightness fears the eternal, but he that is perverse in his ways despises him. Verse 16 of chapter 14. A wise man fears and departs from evil, But the fool rages and is confident. And some are addicted to evil. And they don't know how to extricate themselves from that addiction. Well, there's one way. A wise man fears and departs from evil. Verse 26, another blessing. Is the fear of the Lord in harmony with confidence and with faith? Yes, it is. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Confidence. 
and his children shall have a place of protection, refuge. The fear of the eternal is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. 1516. Some of our brethren are poor and don't have much to eat. And so he says here in verse 16, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Verse 33, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Chapter 16, verse 6, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. So some of our brethren have gotten caught up in sins and habits that they're enslaved to. And if they would choose the fear of the Lord, they might be able to depart from those addictions and save themselves from those sins. The fear of the eternal men depart from evil. Chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the eternal tends to life, and he that has it shall abide frustrated. No, uh, he that has it shall abide satisfied. There is satisfaction. Are you satisfied? I used to have all these advertisements, you know. This kind of cigarette satisfies, or this kind of product satisfies. The world is not satisfied, but God gives satisfaction, contentment, if we have the fear of the Lord, and He shall not be visited with evil. Chapter 22 and verse 4. Now when He says we're not visited by evil, we know that we are attacked on every side, as First Peter says. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. So we have to be aware of those kinds of challenges. Chapter 22 and verse 3. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Oh, well, maybe you like riches, maybe you like honor, maybe you like life. Well, of course, those things will come with humility and the fear of the Lord. 23.17, 23.17, let not your heart envy sinners. And the sinners are on all our entertainment wet networks, and we see the divorces, we see the lifestyles of the rich and famous, and maybe we envy them. But God says, let not your heart envy sinners, but be you in fear of the Lord all the day long. Verse 21 of chapter 24. My son, fear you the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. With protests and riots and getting involved in rebellion. Chapter 28, verse 14. Are you happy? Happy is the man that fears always, and he that hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. 29.25. We're getting to the end. Hang in there. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the eternal shall be safe. And Then I know all the ladies know verse 30 of chapter 31. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the eternal, she shall be praised. Let's turn to uh, 
Matthew, the 10th chapter, Matthew 10. So we see, brethren, through the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs, it's blessing, benefit after benefit. And all of these blessings come about as a result of a godly reverence, of a godly fear. Now, chapter 10 and uh, verse 28, again, uh, shows that there is no immortality of the soul because God can destroy both the soul and body in Gehenna fire. But it is very important to understand that we do have to have a reality check that there is a judgment, there is a lake of fire. And as we saw in Revelation 21, the fearful, unbelieving, and all the sexual immorality, uh, sexually immoral and others are going to be in that lake of fire. So we need to face up to that reality. Now, once you face up to that reality and you understand that there is a plan of forgiveness and of grace and of mercy as we approach the Passover, we do not need to worry about the lake of fire. We need to make sure that we fulfill the commitments we made at baptism, that we are fully committed to avoid those unpardonable sins that would lead to a lake of fire. We need to avoid bitterness, which leads to the unpardonable sin. And that means a frame of mind in which no one is able to repent because one has sealed his mind and will not to repent. And God can never forgive those who don't repent. So we need to again make those commitments that we are going to make sure that we avoid weakness spiritually. We're going to avoid bitterness We're going to avoid those things that will lead to the lake of fire. And on the other hand, then, we see in verse 28 of Matthew 10, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna, as the Greek has it, and the King James has hell, but here it's Gehenna, meaning the Gehenna fire. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear you not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So while God gives us a reality check and a very strong warning about the result of sin ending into the lake of fire, immediately he comforts us and says, look, he knows what happens to every sparrow. I was walking around our headquarters building the other day and saw a little sparrow, and I thought, well, God knows where that sparrow is, and he knows all the sparrows on planet Earth. He knows all the stars and astro bodies, names them all by name, as it says in Isaiah, the 40th chapter. And so he says, you are of more value than many sparrows. But he says, fear not. So we fear you not, therefore, verse 31, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Well, God has given us such wonderful and great promises. Now, what we've read have been quite a few of those qualities and benefits of uh, godly fear, godly reverence from Proverbs and Psalms. So maybe that's just Old Testament. Maybe we should just uh, avoid that and ignore that because, after all, Maybe the New Testament says we need to love God and forget about godly fear. 
Because as some Protestant churches say, well, the fear of God is primitive. Well, it can be primitive, but the real godly fear that we've been reading about is a reverence and an awe and knowing who God is, the reality of who and what God is. So let's take a look at some New Testament scriptures and see if a godly fear is required for us today. We already read Hebrews 5 and verse 7, where Jesus was heard for his godly reverence, his reverent submissiveness, his godly fear. We just read New Testament. Matthew 10, verse 28, Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 7. I referred to this earlier. 2 Corinthians 7 is the repentance chapter or the godly sorrow chapter. And notice the qualities of godly sorrow. Again, it's not either or. It's not either the fear of God or the love of God. It's the love of God complementing the fear of God. And so these qualities of godly sorrow are complementary. Verse 11, well, we'll start with verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 7. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. For the sorrow of the world works death. Yes, they're sorry they got caught. They're sorry they're addicted to some kind of sin or drug abuse or alcoholism that's going to kill them eventually. They're sorry about it, but they're not making any changes, so it's going to lead to their death. For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. And when you have a godly sorrow, that's going to bring about changes in your life. What changes? What carefulness in the King James, earnestness in the NIV, it wrought in you. What earnestness it wrought in you, or eagerness to clear yourselves. What clearing of yourselves. Yes, what indignation. Are you indignant about injustice and evils that take place? There's a righteous indignation. The fear of the eternal is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way do I hate, we read in Proverbs 8.13. Are you indignant about anything? I hope you are, but make sure that indignation is based on God's law and not on your personal um, pain or suffering from, from uh, maybe some kind of accusation. What indignation, what fear or alarm, what vehement desire or longing, what zeal, and what revenge. So you see, brethren, that with the fear of God and with alarm, are complementary zeal, indignation, vehement desire or longing, clearing ourselves, earnestness. All of those are complementary to alarm and the fear of God. You can have zeal and still have the fear of God as well. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews 11. We've talked about uh, individuals in the Bible who had the fear of God. And Jesus did. And he had the spirit of the fear of the Lord, as was prophesied in Isaiah, the 11th chapter. Who else? In the faith chapter, we find Noah was moved with fear. Verse 7 of Hebrews 11. 
By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, or the New King James, moved with godly fear. Now this was motivating, realizing that the earth is going to be totally destroyed by water, and you, Noah, you better build an ark for the saving of your household. And so there is a motivating factor about fear. When John the Baptist spoke, he said, Who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You Pharisees, bring forth therefore fruits fitting for repentance. Matthew 3, around verse 7 and verse 8. And so there is a motivation. And that's what we're doing. We're warning the world. We're warning the nations of the Western world about a great tribulation that is coming. And hopefully many of those will be moved with fear to repent and to change. I know when I first read the uh, booklet by Mr. Herbert Armstrong on 1975 and Prophecy, and I saw the graphic drawings of Mr. Basil Wolverton in that booklet, showing bulldozers uh, pushing bodies into a grave and looking at some of the other uh, amazing drawings he had. In fact, I have a drawing of his showing an airplane crashing into a skyscraper. Uh, So he was ahead of his time, by the way. But when I read that booklet, it moved me with fear, a right kind of fear to change my life. And then to read on ahead and get the good news that this earth wasn't going to be an incinerated relic, that it was going to be renewed by the return of Christ at the second coming, and the anxiety and the Worry that I had was obliterated because I had a new hope, a new new good news that gave me faith and hope for the future. Noah was moved, warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is by faith. Let's take a look at uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. This is not an individual, but it's uh, an exhortation for us. Uh, Speaking of the warning against bitterness back in verse 15 of Hebrews 12, and speaking of Moses and the Israelites at the Mount Sinai where he said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But we look to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, verse 22. Verse 25, see that you refuse not him that speaks. Again, we need to make sure that we're listening to God's ministers and getting the message. Again, sometimes it's God's Spirit touching your heart and mind combined with what you're reading the Scripture. It isn't necessarily the words of the minister itself. Sometimes it is, but sometimes you get the message from God's Spirit connecting with your experience and your mind and your study with God's Word. And it's meaningful to you. And it means something to you. But he says, Refuse not him that speaks. Verse 28, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. And I hope none of you uh, is a graceophobic, but uh, that you... (laughs) Ask God for His grace. Remember when Jesus went to Nazareth and spoke in the synagogue. People were impressed by the words of graciousness with which He spoke. We all need grace. That's God's favor, His mercy. And we need to be gracious as well. 
Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So we need to remember that. First Peter, the second chapter, as we come towards the end of the Bible in the New Testament, First Peter 2 and verse 17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Very short imperatives, but nonetheless very meaningful that we need to abide by and practice. Chapter 3 and uh, verse 15. We've uh, had a whole sermon on this subject. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of a hope that is in you with meekness and reverence or meekness and fear. In other words, you are a person who has a godly reverence and fear and that reflected in the respect that you show others in how you answer their questions. Revelation 11 and verse 15. think, well, that was Old Testament, and uh, we don't really have that requirement of a godly fear in the New Testament. And yet, when the trumpet sounds, the seventh trumpet, and Christ returns, and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, verse 16 of Revelation 11, and the 24 elders which sat before God on their... Seats fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and was and are to come, because you have taken to you your great power and have reigned. The nations were angry. No, nations are not going to like the second coming of Christ. And your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should give reward unto who? Unto whom? Your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. Chapter 14 and verse 6. Chapter 14 and verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. So this is not just to Christians, this is to the whole world. No one's accepted. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of the waters. Verse 3 of chapter 15. And so God is, gives this instruction to the whole world to fear Him. 15, verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, the King of saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you only are holy, and all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments are made manifest. Chapter 19 and verse 5. 
15, verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne. Remember, chapter 19 talks about the marriage of the Lamb and the return of Christ with His armies as King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 5, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, and you that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God, omnipotent, He's all-powerful, omnipotent, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. So let us be glad and rejoice. That message is given to those that fear God. Let's go back to Acts, the 10th chapter, Acts 10. It will be a time of rejoicing. We can fear God and rejoice which is the title of the sermon. Acts, the 10th chapter. Remember that Paul was sent to the Gentiles, although Peter baptized Cornelius here in Acts, the 10th chapter. Notice the quality of this first prominent Gentile. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God all way. And he had this vision, and of course God called him, and he and his household were baptized. Actually, God poured out His Spirit upon them first, and then they were all baptized. So God called this man, one who was fearing Him. So brethren, the fear of God is the knowledge of who and what He is. It's an awareness of God. It's a realization of His majesty and of His sovereignty and of His power. A true Christian will have a godly fear. A true Christian will choose a godly fear. And then all nations someday are going to come to recognize who God really is. They will know the true God of creation. They will know Jesus Christ. And the world that does not know the way to peace now because there is no fear of God before their eyes will have a godly reverence and an awe of the Creator. Jesus Christ walked in the fear of God. Noah was moved by godly fear to save his household. Cornelius feared God and prayed always. The fear and reverence of God produces every blessing. And God takes pleasure in them that fear Him. He'll fulfill, fulfill the desire of them that fear Him with answered prayer. Those that fear God will have a happy family. They will not fear man. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. As the heaven is high above the earth, so is God's mercy towards those that fear Him. God as a Father pities those that fear Him. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those that fear Him. God honors those who fear Him. God sets an angel about those who fear Him. There is no lack or want to those who fear Him. God gives a banner to those who fear Him that it might be displayed because of the truth. And salvation is near to those who fear Him. And brethren, we know the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes 12:13 Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, 
for this is man's all, or the whole duty of man. Let's take a look at one final scripture, Acts the ninth chapter. We as God's church are restoring apostolic Christianity. We need to live as the first century saints, and we'll see that characteristic here in Acts 9, verse 31. God wants us to love Him and to reverence Him. Here we have the first century church, and it came a time when there would be peace in the church. Verse 31, Acts 9. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit were multiplied. The first century church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So, brethren, may we all exercise godly love and faith, reverence and zeal, and then God will bless us abundantly, continuing to guide us effectively in doing His work and doing His will. So let's be like the apostolic church, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let's fear God and rejoice.